Chapter Thirteen of Specimen Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Specimen Days by Walt Whitman. Chapter Thirteen. Recorded by Alan Davis Drake. An Ulster County Waterfall. I jot this mem in a wild scene of woods and hills, where we have come to visit a waterfall. I never saw finer or more copious hemlocks, many of them large, some old and hoary. Such a sentiment to them, secretive, shaggy, what I call weather-beaten and let alone, a rich underlay of ferns, yew-sprouts, and mosses beginning to be spotted with the early summer wildflowers. Enveloping all, the monotone and liquid gurgle from the hoarse, impetuous, copious fall. The greenish, tawny, dark, transparent waters plunging with velocity down the rocks, with patches of milk-white foam. A stream of hurrying amber, thirty feet wide, risen far back in the hills and woods now rushing with volume every hundred rods of fall and sometimes three or four in that distance a primitive forest druidical solitary and savage not ten visitors a year broken rocks everywhere shade overhead thick underfoot with leaves a just palpable wild and delicate aroma walter dumont and his medal as I sauntered along the high road today, I stopped to watch a man nearby, plowing a rough stony field with a yoke of oxen. Usually there is much geeing and hawing, excitement, and continual noise and expletives about a job of this kind. But I noticed how different, how easy and wordless, yet firm and sufficient, the work of this young plowman. His name was Walter Dumont a farmer, and son of a farmer, working for their living. Three years ago, when the steamer Sunnyside was wrecked of a bitter icy night on the west bank here, Walter went out in his boat, was the first man on hand with assistance, made a way through the ice to shore, connected a line, performed work of first-class readiness, daring, danger, and saved numerous lives. Some weeks after, one evening when he was up at Esopus, among the usual loafing crowd at the country store and post office, there arrived the gift of an unexpected official gold medal for the quiet hero. The impromptu presentation was made to him on the spot. But he blushed, hesitated as he took it, and had nothing to say. Hudson River Sights it was a happy thought to build the Hudson River Railroad right along the shore. The grade is already made by nature. You are sure of ventilation one side, and you are in nobody's way. I see here the locomotives and cars, rumbling, roaring, flaming, smoking constantly, away off there, night and day, less than a mile distant, and in full view by day. I like both sight and sound. Express trains thunder and lighten along. 
of freight trains most of them are very long there cannot be less than a hundred a day at night far down as you see the headlight approaching coming steadily on like a meteor the river at night has its special character beauties the shad fishermen go forth in their boats and pay out their nets one sitting forward rowing and one standing up aft dropping it properly marking the line with little floats bearing candles conveying as they glide along the water an indescribable sentiment and doubled brightness i like to watch the toes at night too with their twinkling lamps and hear the husky panting of the steamers or catch the sloops and schooners shadowy forms like phantoms white silent indefinite out there then the hudson of a clear moonlight night but there is one sight the very grandest sometimes in the fiercest driving storm of wind rain hail or snow a great eagle will appear over the river now storing with steady and now over bended wings always confronting the gale or perhaps cleaving into or at times literally sitting upon it it is like reading some first-class natural tragedy or epic or hearing martial trumpets the splendid bird enjoys the hubbub is adjusted and equal to it finishes it so artistically his pinions just oscillating the position of his head and neck his restless occasionally varied flight now a swirl and now an upward movement the black clouds driving the angry wash below the hiss of the rain the winds piping perhaps the ice colliding grunting he tacking or jibbing now as it were for a change abandoning himself to the gale moving with it with such velocity and now resuming control he comes up against it lord of the situation and the storm lord amid it of power and savage joy sometimes as at present writing middle of sunny afternoon the old vanderbilt steamer stalking ahead i plainly hear her rhythmic slushing paddles drawing by long hawsers an immense and varied following string an old sow and pigs the river folks call it first comes a big barge with a house built on it and spars towering over the roof then canal boats a lengthened clustering train fastened and linked together the one in the middle with high staff flaunting a broad and gaudy flag others with the almost invariable lines of new washed clothes drying two sloops and schooners aside the tow little wind and that adverse with three long dark empty barges bringing up the rear people are on the boats men lounging women in sunbonnets children stovepipes with streaming smoke two city areas certain hours new york may twenty fourth eighteen seventy nine perhaps no quarters of this city i have returned again for a while make more brilliant animated crowded spectacular human presentations these fine may afternoons 
than the two I am now going to describe from personal observation. First, that area comprising 14th Street, especially the short range between Broadway and 5th Avenue, with Union Square, its adjacencies, and so retrostretching down Broadway for half a mile. All the walks here are wide, and the spaces ample and free, now flooded with the liquid gold from the last two hours of powerful sunshine. The whole area at five o'clock, these days of my observations, must have contained from thirty to forty thousand finely dressed people, all in motion, plenty of them good-looking, many beautiful women, often youths and children, the latter in groups with their nurses, the trotters everywhere, close-spread, thick-tangled, yet no collision, no trouble, with masses of bright color, action, and tasty toilets. Surely the women dress better than ever before, and the men do too, as if New York would show these afternoons what it can do for its humanity, its choicest physique and physiognomy, and its countless prodigiality of locomotion, dry goods, glitter, magnetism, and happiness. Second, also from 5 to 7 p.m., the stretch of Fifth Avenue, all the way from the Central Park exits of 59th Street down to 14th, especially along the high grade by 14th Street and down the hill. A Mississippi of horses and rich vehicles, not by dozens and scores, but by hundreds and thousands the broad avenue filled and crammed with them, a moving, sparkling, hurrying crush, for more than two miles. I wonder they don't get blocked, but I believe they never do. Altogether, it is to me the marvel sight of New York. I like to get in one of the Fifth Avenue stages and ride up, stemming the swift-moving procession. I doubt if London or Paris or any city in the world can show such a carriage carnival as I have seen here five or six times these beautiful May afternoons. Central Park Walks and Talks, May 16 to 22. I visit Central Park now almost every day, sitting or slowly rambling, or riding around. The whole place presents its very best appearance this current month. The full flush of the trees, the plentiful white and pink of the flowering shrubs, the emerald green of the grass spreading everywhere, yellow dotted still with dandelions, the specialty of the plentiful gray rocks, peculiar to these grounds, cropping out. Miles and miles and over all the beauty and purity three days out of four of our summer skies as i sit placidly early afternoon off against ninetieth street the policeman c c a well-formed sandy-complexioned young fellow comes over and stands near me we grow quite friendly and chatty forthwith he is a new yorker born and raised and in answer to my question tells me about the life of a new york park policeman while he talks keeping his eyes and ears vigilantly open occasionally pausing and moving where he can get full views of the vistas of the road 
up and down, and the spaces around. The pay is $2.40 a day, seven days a week. The men come on and work eight hours straight ahead, which is all that is required of them out of the twenty-four. The position has more risks than one might suppose. For instance, if a team or horse runs away, which happens daily, each man is expected not only to be prompt, but to waive safety and stop wildest nag or nags. Do it, and don't be thinking of your bones or face. Give the alarm. Whistle, too, so that other guards may repeat, and the vehicles up and down the tracks be warned. Injuries to the men are continually happening. There is much alertness and quiet strength. Few apprentice. I have often thought the Ulyssian capacity, daring-do, quick readiness in emergencies, practicality, unwitting devotion and heroism, among our American young men and working people, the firemen, the railroad employees, the steamer and ferrymen, the police, the conductors and drivers, the whole splendid average of native stock, city and country. It is good work, though, and among the whole, the Park Force members like it. They see life, and the excitement keeps them up. There is not so much difficulty as might be supposed from tramps, roughs, or in keeping people off the grass. The worst trouble of the regular park employee is from malarial fever, chills, and the like. A fine afternoon, four to six. Ten thousand vehicles careering through the park this perfect afternoon. Such a show! I have seen all, watched it narrowly, and at my leisure. Private barouques, cabs and coops, some fine horse-flesh, lapdogs, footmen, fashions, foreigners, cockades on hats, crests on panels, the full oceanic tide of New York's wealth and gentility. It was an impressive, rich, interminable circus on a grand scale full of action and color in the beauty of the day, under the clear sun and moderate breeze, family groups, couples, single drivers, of course dresses generally elegant, much style, yet perhaps little or nothing, even in that direction, that fully justified itself. Through the windows of two or three of the richest carriages I saw faces almost corpse-like, so ashy and listless. Indeed, the whole affair exhibited less of a sterling America, either in spirit or countenance, than I had counted on from such a select mass spectacle. I suppose, as a proof of limitless wealth, leisure, and the aforesaid gentility, it was tremendous. Yet what I saw those hours— I took two other occasions to other afternoons to watch the same scene, confirms a thought that haunts me every additional glimpse I get of our top loftical general or rather exceptional phases of wealth and fashion in this country, namely that they are ill at ease, much too conscious, cased in too many cerements, and far from happy 
that there is nothing in them which we who are poor and plain need at all envy and that instead of the perennial smell of the grass and woods and shores their typical redolence is of soaps and essences very rare may be but suggesting the barber-shop something that turns stale and musty in a few hours anyway perhaps the show on the horseback road was prettiest many groups three a favorite number some couples some singly many ladies frequently horses or parties dashing along at a full run fine riding the rule a few really first-class animals as the afternoon waned the wheeled carriages grew less but the saddle riders seemed to increase they lingered long and i saw some charming forms and faces departing of the big steamers may twenty fifth a three hours bay trip from twelve to three this afternoon accompanied by the city of brussels down as far as the narrows in behoof of some europe-bound friends to give them a good send-off our spirited little tug the seth low kept close to the great black brussels sometimes one side sometimes the other always up to her or even pressing ahead like the blooded pony accompanying the royal elephant the whole affair from the first was an animated quick passing characteristic new york scene the large good-looking well-dressed crowd on the wharf end men and women come to see their friends depart and bid them godspeed the ship's sides swarming with passengers groups of bronze-faced sailors with uniformed officers at their posts the quiet directions as she quickly unfastens and moves out prompt to a minute the emotional faces adieus and fluttering handkerchiefs and many smiles and some tears on the wharf the answering faces smiles tears and fluttering handkerchiefs from the ship what can be subtler and finer than these play of faces on such occasions in these responding crowds what go more to one's heart the proud steady noiseless cleaving of the grand oceaner down the bay we speeding by her side a few miles and then turning wheeling amid a babble of wild hurrahs shouted partings ear-splitting steam whistles kissing of hands and waving of handkerchiefs this departing of the big steamers noons or afternoons there is no better medicine when one is listless or vapory i am fond of going down wednesdays and saturdays they are more special days to watch them and the crowds on the wharves the arriving passengers the general bustle and activity the eager look from the faces the clear-toned voices a travelled foreigner a musician told me the other day that she thinks an american crowd has the finest voices in the world the whole look of the great shapely black ships themselves and their groups and line sides in the setting of our bay with the blue sky overhead two days after the above i saw the britannic 
the Danau, the Helvetia, and the Scheindam steam out, all off to Europe, a magnificent sight. Two Hours on the Minnesota From seven to nine, aboard the United States schoolship Minnesota, lying on the North River, Captain Luce sent his gig for us about sundown, to the foot of 23rd Street, and received us aboard with officer-like hospitality and sailor-hardiness. There were several hundred youths on the Minnesota to be trained for efficiency manning the government navy. I like the idea much, and so far as I have seen to-night, I like the way it is carried out on this huge vessel. Below, on the gun-deck, were gathered nearly a hundred of the boys, to give us some of their singing exercises, with a melodeon accompaniment, played by one of their number. They sang with a will. The best part, however, was the sight of the young fellows themselves. I went over among them before the singing began, and talked for a few minutes informally. They are from all of the states. I asked for the southerners, but could only find one, a lad from Baltimore. At age, apparently, they range from about fourteen years to nineteen or twenty. They are all of American birth, and have to pass a rigid medical examination. Well-grown youths, good flesh, bright eyes, looking straight at you, healthy, intelligent, not a slouch among them, nor a menial, in every one the promise of a man. I have been too many public aggregations of young and old, and of schools and colleges in my day, but I confess I have never been so nearly satisfied, so comforted, both from the fact of the school itself, and the splendid proof of our country, our composite race, and the sample promises of its good average capacities, its future, as in the collection from all parts of the United States on this Navy training ship. Are there going to be any men there? was the dry and pregnant reply of Emerson to one who had been crowding him with the rich material statistics and possibilities of some western or Pacific region. May 26. Aboard the Minnesota again. Lieutenant Murphy kindly came for me in his boat, enjoyed especially those brief trips to and fro. The sailors, tanned, strong, so bright and able-looking, pulling their oars in long side-swing, man-of-war style, as they rowed me across. I saw the boys in companies drilling with small arms, had a talk with Chaplain Rawson. At eleven o'clock all of us gathered to breakfast round the long table in the great ward-room, I among the rest, a genial, plentiful, hospitable affair every way plenty to eat, and of the best, became acquainted with several new officers. This second visit, with its observations, talks, two or three at random with the boys, confirmed my first impressions. Mature Summer Days and Nights August 4th Forenoon As I sit under the willow shade, have retreated down in the country again, a little bird is leisurely dousing and flirting himself amid the brook, almost within reach of me. He evidently fears me not, takes me for some concomitant of the neighborhood earthy banks, free bushery, and wild weeds. 
6 p.m. The last three days have been perfect ones for the season. Four nights ago copious rains, with vehement thunder and lightning. I write this sitting by the creek, watching my two kingfishers at their sundown sport. The strong, beautiful, joyous creatures! Their wings glisten in the slanted sunbeams as they circle and circle around, occasionally dipping and dashing the water, and making long stretches up and down the creek. Wherever I go, over fields, through lanes, in by-places, blooms the white-flowering wild carrot, its delicate pat of snowflakes crowning its slender stem, gracefully oscillating in the breeze. Exposition Building, New City Hall, River Trip Philadelphia, August 26 Last night and tonight, of unsurpassed clearness, after two days' rain, moon splendor and star splendor, being out towards the great exposition building, West Philadelphia, I saw it lit up, and thought I would go in. There was a ball, democratic but nice, plenty of young couples waltzing and quadrilling, music by a good string band, to the sight and hearing of these, to moderate strolls up and down the roomy spaces, to getting off aside, resting in an armchair, and looking up a long while at the grand high roof, with its graceful and multitudinous work of iron rods, angles, gray colors, plays of light and shade, receding into dim outlines, to absorbing, in the intervals of the string band, some capital voluntaries and organ caprices from the big organ at the other end of the building to sighting a shadowed figure or group or couple of lovers every now and then passing some near or farther aisle i abandoned myself for over an hour returning home riding down market street in an open summer car something detained us between fifteenth and broad and I got out to view better the new, three-fifths-built marble edifice, the City Hall, of magnificent proportions, a majestic and lovely show there in the moonlight, flooding all over, facades, myriad silver-white lines, and carved heads and moldings, with the soft dazzle, silent, weird, beautiful, well, I know that never when finished will the magnificent pile impress one as it impressed me those fifteen minutes. Tonight, since I have been long on the river, I watched the sea-shaped northern crown, with the star Alshaka that blazed out so suddenly, alarmingly, one night a few years ago. The moon in her third quarter, and up nearly all night and there as i look eastward my long absent pleiades welcome again to sight for an hour i enjoy the soothing and vital scene to the low splash of waves new stars steadily noiselessly rising in the east as i cross the delaware one of the deckhands f r tells me how a woman jumped overboard and was drowned a couple of hours since it happened in mid-channel she leaped from the forward part of the boat which went over her he saw her rise on the other side in the swift running water throw her arms and closed hands high up 
white hands and bare forearms in the moonlight, like a flash, and then she sank. I found out afterwards that this young fellow had promptly jumped in, swam after the poor creature, and made, though unsuccessfully, the bravest efforts to rescue her, but he didn't mention that part at all in telling me the story. Swallows on the River September 3rd Cloudy and wet, and wind due east, air without palpable fog but very heavy with moisture, welcome for a change. Forenoon, crossing the Delaware, I noticed unusual numbers of swallows in flight, circling, darting, graceful beyond description, close to the water, thick around the bows of the ferry-boat as she lay tied in her slip. They flew. And as we went out, I watched beyond the pier-heads and across the broad stream their swift winding loop, ribbons of motion, down close to it, cutting and intersecting. Though I had seen swallows all my life, seemed as though I never before realized their peculiar beauty and character in the landscape. Some time ago, for an hour, in a huge old country barn, watching these birds flying, recalled the twenty-second book of the Odyssey, where Ulysses slays the suitors, brings things to Ecclesissimen, and Minerva, swallow-bodied, darts up through the spaces of the hall, sits high on the beam, looks complacently on the show of slaughter, and feels in her element exalting joyous. End of chapter 13 of Specimen Days this recording is in the public domain.